It's going to be a good episode, even though this is the second time I'm saying this is going to be a good episode. <laughs> it doesn't make it any less true. Yes, for, for, our, for our listeners out there, this is uh, attempt two at recording the uh, episode to Busan. The, the first attempt was uh, un- unfortunately destroyed in a secret uh, government plot. <laughs> Uh, well, we, st- we stumbled upon the truth of the zombie serum, and and they had to silence the podcast. We, we are being censored by big tech, um, <laughs> uh, much like the conservatives should be. It's it's we're the true victims of social media censorship. <laughs> yeah, we we were talking about train to Busan, and then we accidentally figured out a little bit too much about trains, uh, and that's when we they had to shut us down. Um. So much for the free marketplace of ideas. <laughs> I know, right? They didn't even take the time to hashtag debate me first. <laughs> uh, please make it up to us by donating to our censorship GoFundMe. Uh... <laughs> we, we have sustained milkshake-related injuries. We can no longer continue the show unless I get about $200,000 in the next 46 hours. Uh, regular interviews on all of the major cable news channels. Otherwise, uh, we'll be forced to shut down. And then the other side win. And is that what you want? Is that the world you want to live in? <laughs> Greetings, friends of the great beyond. This is your ghost, I mean host, ready to take you behind the veil of terror and leftist critique. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. You want to know what else makes me feel happy, John? What? Trains. 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 They're great, aren't they? Let's talk about trains. Yes. And let's, let's talk about today's episode. Uh, yes, let's do it. Uh, so what are we talking about this week and why are we talking about it, Ash? Well, well, uh, t- today, uh, a certain special someone got to chew, chew, choose their birthday episode. <laughs> uh, I like the implication that I'm the Ralph Wiggum of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is only funny because if, if anything, the opposite of that is true. <laughs> Uh, I did. I did have a birthday uh, a little while ago now, uh, but that's fine. But now it's time to do what we normally do here on HV and allow the special birthday boy to choose the special birthday episode. <laughs> uh, you might, re- long-time listeners might well remember that our um, episode on the Black Tower was chosen by Ash for his birthday, which has gone on to be, I think, maybe one of the episodes that people talk about the most. I I, um, I would agree. Even as much as, like, I'm probably biased in saying that. And so for your birthday, we, we, did, a, we did a film uh, about the bleak existential uh, despair of contemporary life and the, the sense of haunt, haunted alienation that exists in an urban environment. Uh, and so for my birthday, we're going to do a film about why trains are really good. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we have, we have uh, we sat down and we we're watching uh, the classic horror film, the National Geographic documentary, The History of Trains. <laughs> All twelve parts. All twelve parts. <laughs> this is going to be a forty-eight hour episode. We are going in depth. Absolutely, it's going to be it's going to be great. No, we're talking about, of course, uh, 
Train to Busan from 2016, uh, a film all about why trains are the most socialist form of transportation um, and why uh, high-level corporate executives should immediately be guillotined. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that is, is pretty much that's the thesis that. statement of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Or of the film. Tr- of the film, Of rather? the film. We, 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 we know that... That that is what is known as a satirical bit of joke humor. Wink. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Ash, uh, as is now demanded, expected by the listener, can you, the single single listener who (laughs) keeps telling us that we need to keep doing this, Thank you. Thank you, our only listener to this podcast. (laughs) Can you please give us... um, Give us one of your uh, patented plot recaps, and as always, spoilers are in full effect. Yes. What are you What are you doing listening to this uh, movie movie criticism podcast when you have not seen the movie? Please go watch the film. In the history of humanity, there have been countless modes of travel: ships, carriages, cars with stone wheels that we power with our feet. But only one stands out in the fight against the dead. Trains. 2016's Train to Busan is a movie about the age-old fight between locomotives and the undead. Join our hero, a train, as it bravely escorts vulnerable and frustrated humans safely through the zombie apocalypse outbreak. Will the train take them to their destination? Will it run off the rails? Will the lives of the people struggling with class conflict inside the train sully the memory of the beautiful heroism that we witness in this film? Find out in today's episode. Ah, so good. So good. Um, so let's, uh, let's ju- jump right in. Where, where do you want to start with this? Where do you want to start with Train to Busan? Um, I figured we'd start Train to Busan right at the top. Right with the... I don't know if it's technically the first character, but it's it's the first somewhat developed character that we come across, and it's the um, I don't I don't know I don't know his name or his title, but the the farmer the 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 uh, the swineherd that we see in the beginning of the film. Yeah, he's this incidental, non-recurring character yes. who just appears for this opening sequence. A bit, a bit, a bit. It, it's like it's a uh, it's like an amuse bouge for the film, right? It establishes everything we're about to watch. Through the vehicle mm-hmm. of like this downtrodden agricultural worker, yeah, absolutely. And he's also probably my favorite character in the whole movie, even though he's in it for all of like maybe two minutes, and that's me being generous. So what happens with this guy then? So, uh, so our 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 farmer rolls up in a, a really beat up truck, right? And and the farmer himself looks looks a little worse for wear, right? Everything kind of signaling that you know his economic condition is probably a little perilous. Well, agricultural work is is not good, right? That's no. a tough way to that's a tough way to make a living. The yeah. truck is the truck is beat up and he looks like he's been having just a bad day for like the last six hundred days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he um he he rolls up to some dudes wearing hazmat suits and they spray down his truck and then he rolls down his window to talk to one of them and, and they're they're just like they're you know, generic corporate employees saying everything is fine and there's nothing to worry about. But from his dialogue, we learned that the last time this happened, they had to kill off his his pigs yeah. due, due to some contamination. And and he is just fucking livid, right? Because, because he's worried that that's going to happen again. 
And I think yeah, there's, there's, there's so much in this moment that kind of foreshadows the rest of the film, right? Because here we have the, the, this guy whose condition is totally precarious and, and he has virtually no control over everything that happens to him. He is at the whim of these negligent corporations that, that have at least on one occasion before and probably recurring throughout his entire, you know, like life as an agricultural worker have just, you know, through, through nothing but their own negligence, just jeopardized his livelihood and probably his life in general. Yeah. And, and like, you know, like he's atomized, he's alienated, and that leaves him nothing with nothing but this kind of like corrosive and impotent rage. Yeah, because there's something I was wanting to ask about this. Um, the people who stop him, is this a government quarantine or is this like... A corporate one because they say like there's been a spill at the local like chemical plant mm -hmm. um, so I think that's an interesting question whether this is the government's organization or is this a corporate thing um, Ooh, yeah I definitely that is a good good question what do you what do you think the like the main interpretive difference would be between the two for you well here's the thing I don't think there would be one right yes! because because it doesn't really make a difference right individual nope. agency doesn't matter in a world where corporations are given the same political rights as people um like that doesn't that doesn't wouldn't make any difference but what it does if it if they're a corporate figure is it underscores the extent to which kind of liberal democracy has increasingly become this kind of atrophied hollowed out concept which has just been replaced by I, I think a key power. thing to remember here is that like you're you're totally right it does not matter which side these these hazmat suit uh clad guys are on because in all likelihood like whoever's at the top of this company might hold a seat in the government they're probably funding a huge sector of the government yeah you know and like the the meaningful distinction between the corporation and the governing body is increasingly dwindling yeah it's just starting to collapse isn't it right and we so said like what was it um <laughs> just shy of a month ago now in philadelphia that oil refinery blew up yeah which yeah, yeah. For, for the record if that would have gone worse any worse than it did it might have literally killed most of the people in philadelphia yeah that could have been a, a disaster on the scale of like chernobyl it would it would have it would have been without even like a shadow of a doubt the worst industrial accident in human history yeah 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 and, like, there will be no consequences for these people almost making a city disappear. No, of course not. Of course not. At least not. No, 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 no consequences on a scale that would be meaningful to us. Like, sure, someone's going to get fined millions of dollars, but, like, well, that's, but that's when like finding somebody a nickel. Yeah, when these corporate entities literally sort of exist upon mountains of gold, yeah. like, like, like Smaug from Lord of the Rings, <laughs> <laughs> like, those fines are essentially meaningless anyway. Right, and even if, like, a CEO steps down, like, they're just going to shuffle the decks and that person's going to go join the board of some other nightmare corporation. Or some kind of right-wing think tank called, like, right, yeah, yeah. the Liberty and Freedom Foundation. Ugh. And now, a word from our sponsors. All right, creeps, it's time for another... What's all that noise? John, where are you? Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, Ash. Sorry, sorry. Little busy at the moment. Little bit busy at the moment. John, are are you on Wall Street? Why? 
No, no, Sal, Sal, Sal. I said, I said, Sal, damn it. Sorry, 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 Ash. Um, Buster didn't work out, so I decided to diversify our investment portfolio to try and bring some extra money in. John, we don't have a portfolio. Where did you get all this money? Ah, well, <laughs> yes, I, I may have set you up with a mortgage. I, I don't even own a house. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. A literal mortgage, uh, a deal with the dead. Um, I, I don't know how to say this, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to come out and, and be blunt. Ash, I sold your soul. What? To who? Well, uh, at first it was just one of Hell's demonic brokers, but they quickly broke the debt up and sold it off to several investment companies. I think the majority of your spectral assets are currently held by a venture capital firm building some smart condos just outside of Denver. Wait, wait, John, why do I smell brimstone? Uh, oh, oh, looks like your spectral assets have gone into the red. Uh, it's, you know, it's in the terms and conditions of the of the, of the deal. Um, you should check your email. Uh, look, look, okay, don't worry. Uh, listen, if I can flip these teenage blood futures, I might be able to convert your spectral assets into soul bonds and get you out of hell. Out of what? Uh, sorry, sorry, Ash, I've got some, got some very important things to take. Take care of. Yo, investment demon, come get some. Ooh, well, wasn't that spooky? To keep HV above ground, sign up to our Patreon, where you'll get access to our Discord server, early access to episodes, and the exclusive Arcane Book Club of Horror. If each of our listeners contributed just a few dollars a month, we wouldn't have to treat our very souls as fungible investment opportunities. Remember to like, share, and review our show wherever premium podcasts are sold. Now, back to the program. Yeah. So uh, our farmer makes it through the checkpoint, and he's kind of grumbling away to himself about these these uh, faceless drones who have who he thinks are going to have to come and murder all of his herds again. And then um, he immediately slams into a deer, um, and he's like, ah, oh, just he has the kind of like classic. Uh, sort of like ah, the luck I'm having. Right, yeah, yeah. His his, his, drive. his line, or at least in the the translation I watched, was another shitty day. <laughs> um, in this, and then there's this kind of horrible moment where this deer kind of viscerally snaps back to its feet and bounds off into into the distance, and that's how we begin. What I really like is that this setup is so like clean and sharp there's do we waste loads of time on exposition no do we need to do we need to kind of give loads of explanation for what what's kind of happened no we just get it done yeah and it's it's, it's just like ugh, 
I can't stress enough how this whole beginning sequence with the farmer and and these these uh like industrial spill guys and the deer it's it's just such a beautiful overture for the entire film. All of our themes are set yeah. up, all of our conflict is established. And it's and it, and it does it through through the vehicle of just these characters that are passing through the film. We don't need like awkward news dumps. We we don't need like anything tedious or belabored. It is just like oh, so good. And like one one thing one thing I know oh, yeah. we're gonna get into later is is organization, right? And class unity and and ideas like class consciousness. And I think like even in the beginning we established that with the farmer, right? Because like like you know yeah. he's he's got like like as I said earlier like this impotent rage. You know he can just kind of grumble to himself, and you know maybe maybe he has some friends in the community that he will go grumble with later, but like yeah they'll go they'll go for a drink and they'll all kind of sit around bemoaning. <laughs> you know the the idiots in charge and that yeah, kind of thing yeah but lacking class consciousness lacking any kind of framework through which to pursue further action this is kind of all he's left with and this is this is something that's going to come up later in the film is that like what is class consciousness what is like working together what is unity and you know now we're getting it through through the metaphor of this kind of like atomized agricultural worker and we're about to get it through a bunch of strangers on a train <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And then we get um, then we get a shift from the kind of atomized, uh, sort of downtrodden agricultural worker to which, in a way, it does feel sort of like a vision of the working subject in a kind of past tense, given the way that model has increasingly fallen out of prevalence mm -hmm. to the mod to the modern iteration of what that looks like, um, where we meet our main character. Um, and this is uh, Siok Wu, um, who is the, uh, our kind of focal point for the entire film. And he is a burned out corporate climber. So what do you think about that shift from the kind of agricultural laborer to the urban worker? I think, I think for me, it's doing two, two things that are a little disparate, but ultimately both very useful. And that's like Sokwu is is some mid level manager of a hedge fund, right? You know, he's yeah. not he's not quite yeah, high we, enough we, on the tier yet where where he doesn't work and he and he is he is a capitalist in the strict sense, you know, where he's making money off of his property. But he yeah, is, yeah. you know, doing everything in his power to get there. Yeah, we first see him uh we we first see him like at his desk eating fast food, working through his lunch break, um, and then he's uh, yeah, like a, a clerk or like a junior um, associate comes in and he hands off the instructions that have clearly just been handed down to him. So like he he is like middle management. Yeah. So he's caught between the class interests of of the capitalists who run the business and make the money off his work and the responsibility of exploiting and maximizing the surplus value created by the people beneath him. And we also, we also have the character of that clerk who, who he'll be, uh, he's a reoccurring figure who'll be popping up via text and phone call throughout the rest of the film. But, yeah. but he is, uh, analyst, analyst, yes, analyst, Kim, analyst Kim, who is probably my second favorite character. All of my favorite characters in this movie are on screen for like four seconds. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> analyst Kim, I really like his character because I think it, um, you know, like like the agricultural worker is caught in the gears of a machine that that doesn't care whether he lives or dies, and so is analyst Kim. 
and and despite yeah. the fact that they're in two completely different settings and probably in many respects analyst kim leads a much easier life they they are nevertheless yeah. like atomized and alienated workers under capital and i think like 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 that again is like a through theme of this film is that like you know on paper we might look incredibly different but our conditions are deeply intertwined i've said this repeatedly this idea that what we we can have solidarity not in spite of the difference different kinds of oppression that we face under capitalism but because of those differences mm -hmm. you know it's still the same uh system which produces those injustices that we target um so Siokwu is unsurprisingly is very divorced <laughs> He's this. <laughs> he is. He is the poster like, child of of the of the deadbeat dad. Yeah, like he in his phone, his uh, the mother of his child is just referred to as ex wife. That, that's healthy, which right is there. Like that, that, yeah, that's strong divorced guy <laughs> energy right there. Yeah, that, that is that is definitely a sign that you're uh pre you you have resolved the tensions from your previous relationship and you are ready to move on. Uh, he is this kind of absentee father to his young daughter, Suan. Um, there's this, there's this sort of bleakly funny moment where he, it's so the the, the kind of setup is it's Suan's birthday, mm. or it's the evening before, it's the night before Suan's birthday, and so he has missed a recital at school where she was going to sing a song, um, but couldn't do it because her father wasn't there, and so he comes home with a Nintendo Wii uh, and puts it down next to her and she has to point out that for Children's Day uh, he had already got her one and she hasn't touched it and hasn't right, played yeah, with yeah. it. The, the Wii U is just uh, sitting in the box on, on top of her dresser. And it's like, oh, now I've got another one right. from, from the father who didn't even remember he'd already and, done and, this. And, and like, you know, like, 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 like Sok Wu tries to like play it off and be like, oh, oh, uh, let me, let me go exchange that. Oh, silly me. But like, like Sue Ann is just like just giving him like that like piercing stare. Like she knows she knows Dad's checked out because he's too busy at work. Yeah, and his my theory is that he didn't even buy it. He sent out analyst Kim yes. to buy it for yes, him. Yes, because because he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't even think for himself about what what um, Sue Ann might want. He just asks analyst Kim what kids are into these days. Yeah, exactly. Um, but really, what Sue Ann wants is she wants the chance to see mm -hmm. her mother. Um, and so she basically guilts her father into uh, taking taking them from Seoul to Busan. And there is the KTX, the, uh, the express train which runs between these two cities in Korea. Uh, and she's like, I can go without you. You don't, <laughs> you, don't, you don't even need to come. I know you don't want to. You'd rather be in work. But he sort of rolls his eyes and goes, oh, it's fine. I'll take the morning off work and I'll drop you off in Busan with your mother with ex-wife and so they get they they early in the morning it's, it's still dark when they're driving through seoul and a fleet of um emergency services vehicles tear past them and th that's our first our second indication really that there's something something is going on here and then we get to our hero of the film which is the KTX 101 train. <laughs> <laughs> yes, comrade KTX 101, uh, we, we salute you. Uh, operated by uh, Core Rail. Um, 
the Korean uh, Train Express launched in 2004. Uh, and what I really like is like the classic scene of you, this is how you introduce all of the other characters um, as the as the camera moves mm -hmm. through the train and you see all of the... I think, I think this film makes a relatively smart choice, which is using kind of broad archetypes of yes, characters. Yes, I agree. Even though I... I I think there's a kind of real emotional core to the film, but they, they, the film introduces everybody very quickly, so everyone is immediately sort of recognizable. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we have the various characters, some of whom are my favorite characters in this <laughs> film. I want, to see if you can, I want to see if you can guess who my favorite person in the film is, because um, I think you probably will. So, so who do we have as a kind of cast of characters on the so train? So as, as we go through the film, we're introduced through to uh, many different people. Um, we have uh, uh, Song Kyung and Sang Hwa, which are, uh, they're a married couple who are uh, expecting their first child. Uh, yep. And Sang Hwa is, is my favorite character yes, in the film. Yes, he is, he is the lovable dumbass. Yeah. And and uh, Song Kyung is the like uh, long long suffering partner type character. I I want to see the sitcom based on their marriage. <laughs> see, yeah, I would I would love that show. Especially especially now that Sang Hwa is a zombie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now that the the both the both the zombie it's like, neighbors. It's like a clash a class conscious warm bodies. That would be great to watch. Uh, so we have those two, um, the married, the new, uh, the married couple who are expecting their first baby. Yes, and and uh, who, who we, else have, do we have, who I think is probably your favorite character, and that's uh, Yon Yon Suk, the the soulless corporate CEO who who nearly kills oh, everyone on the plane oh. on the train. I hate him so much. <laughs> I hate. <laughs> oh damn! Well, I guessed wrong. <laughs> uh. I, I think you know me so well that I would automatically oh. go for Yonsuk, Yon the, the the COO who who is as the film goes on, it's just like this hissingly evil villain. This husk, you know, <laughs> like there's not even a person inside that skin. Um, we also have um the high school yes, baseball team. I love the high school baseball team. <laughs> Just the the coolest guys in their in their like sports jackets. They got their bats, and there is there is of course um, Jinhee, mm -hmm. uh, the cheerleader who has decided to tag along with the, with the uh, baseball players, um, and it has this sort of uh, sweet relationship with one of the baseball players who is maybe not quite as like. Broy as the right, others. yeah. You were you were you were mentioning that uh, like everyone everyone's kind of a stock character, and she's 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 yeah, she's yeah. the stock uh, attractive popular girl, and he's the stock like uh, awkward boy, and and they have like a, a very adorable relationship tension there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are two um, elderly mm -hmm. sisters who are on the train as well, um, and there is this clearly deeply traumatized homeless yeah. man who kind of crashes onto the train and like huddles into a vestibule um so everybody's settled in their seats the doors are literally just about to close and a a, a young woman stumbles onto the train convulsing with an open leg wound that's 
clearly a bite. And we're right. off. And scene. <laughs> and that's how we got. That's how the train leaves Seoul. I really, I really like your point about how all of the characters are kind of uh, like like stock two dimensional characters because they all they all very much are and, and like there are very the arcs the characters have are all very I don't want to say shallow because that has such a pejorative connotation but but there isn't a lot of exploration into what's going on in a lot of these characters even even Sok Woo you know doesn't doesn't you know seem to mature or learn a lot throughout the course of the film like we do have that third act where his like dying hallucination is him realizing how much he's really fucked up his relationship with his daughter but um, yeah, yeah. but for me, you know, by 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 having all of these kind of stand-in characters who have their their own little subplots, and then having all of them interact together, the whole cast forms this incredibly emotionally resonant slice of life. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I think calling them stock characters is maybe a bit sure. unfair. I think archetypes, yes, yeah, is is better. And yeah, the 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 arcs that they have. There are no big twists, really. There's nothing that's kind of shocking, but it does what it does so mm-hmm. well. I th- I think you would be it would be really tough to watch this and be like, and not, uh, there are bits which are I think it kind of wanders into the melodramatic oh, yeah. at some yeah. point. Like they're they're going that, for feels, and, but but that's totally fine mm-hmm. <laughs> because not none of these characters are are like. Uh, done like all of the performances oh, yeah, are really yeah. good, and yeah, the beats, the beats perfect, they hit yeah. are kind of are per- just, are just perfect. It. And you go, that's what I want. That's what I want from my zombie mm-hmm. film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I definitely don't mean to disparage the the actors or the writing or the direction for this. Like, because everything was just so spot on. Like, I just mean to say that by by intentionally using characters that that are more archetypes and less deep character studies. You know, the, the the film is able to kind of orchestrate something much greater using all of these pieces. You know, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely becomes more than the sum of its parts. Absolutely. Um, shall we talk about the zombies themselves? Then I think yes. that would be interesting. Yes, we shall. <laughs> it's so so a little behind the scenes magic. You know, like as as we alluded to earlier, we are re-recording this one because we lost the original to technical difficulties. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of hard to hard to like recreate the same suspense because I know what you're about to say, and it is absolutely incredible. <laughs> we did we did have we did have some good beats in this in that original one. Um, well, because there was a cu- there was a couple of things that we wanted that we talked about in that last in the last version, and we should talk about in this one, um, which is the idea of these this the kind of variations of zombies because. These zombies in an incredibly uh, confined space, mm-hmm. if they were slow zombies, would not necessarily be all that threatening, right? But uh, what I really like about this film is that it does something very particular with its zombies in the way that they move. Yeah. Um, like I, our nameless young woman rushes onto the train, uh, clearly convulsing already, and then like brutally attacks a young train steward who is there to check on them. And that's how the zombie infection gets loose on the train. Um, so what do you think about the way that these zombies kind of move and this version of the zombie? I, I am a really big fan of the, the the kind of broken and staccato movement that these these zombies kind of go through. 
as to kind of like jerk and lurch about you know like this kind of all goes back to like uh uh you know george romero's direction for like oh how are the zombies supposed to move while they're dead they're all messed up you know so and so like all all of his zombies kind of like awkwardly shamble and kind of drag parts of them as if the parts didn't work but i kind of like it in this one too because you've got that same you've got that same ethos right but now instead of you know having having kind of like this this absence of life they have like this horrifying insertion of like dead life yeah of like like huge amounts of speed and ferocity um uh, uh, one review that i really like described them as like breakdancing corpses <laughs> that is perfect um so so where are okay, you should... on the fast slow zombie divide <laughs> leading question I was, about to say, I was about to say do you want my do you want my theory here's my theory that i'm gonna drop yes i want to hear this for the first time ever and i think it's probably gonna be one of the best things i've ever heard i don't know why i'm saying that okay so so in the previous episode, we, we did have a bit where we talked about the fast versus slow zombie debate, which never seems to go away. And uh, so my argument was that like you can, you can kind of trace this kind of historical genealogy of the zombie as uh, a kind of figure that's produced under capitalism. And so as economic forces of production change and uh, mutate and evolve and accelerate so too does the zombie. So you start off with something like the creatures from White Zombie, uh, if not the first, then certainly one of the first, one of the very earliest iterations of a zombie film, where they are these slow, deliberate figures that are actually used in a sugar mill and a sugar plantation as like cheap, easily disposable labor. Um, and then by the seventies, the late sixties, early seventies. You've got them wandering around shopping malls. And then as capitalism accelerates, as networked information capitalism becomes global and instantaneous, it's no surprise then that what horror produces is that taken to its ultimate conclusion expressed in human subjectivity. Because the thing is, these creatures move almost quicker than people do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they have this kind of hyper-networked kinetic energy to them which actually reflects the ways in which neoliberal capitalism, networked capitalism, has has uh, instantiated itself and spread out from, especially actually South Korea and, and Asia, have been the kind of bedrock places where this was tested out. You know, you have the, the salaryman idea where it's kind of normalized into that kind of constant productivity. And eventually you reach the limits of what human bodies are capable of, and you'll end up with... The creatures from Train to Busan. Incredible. I think that, like, like, like for me, like one of the parts of this that, that I find really interesting because now that I've had like more time to think about your your zombie uh, theorem here, like one of the things that I find really interesting is like what's happened to slow zombies, you know? Mm. And like we we still have some attempts at making slow zombies scary with things like Walking Dead, but Walking Dead is more of like a soap opera with zombies than it is something about the horror of zombies. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's it's very much it's a very it's a character piece, you know, and like it, it follow it follows kind of like this you know televisual melodramatic soap opera formula more closely than it does that of a horror anything. But yeah. one one thing that I, I find particularly interesting is that like look at where slow zombies are starting to go. Like we have warm bodies and Zombieland, 
you know and like like these 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 attempts to like okay like slow, slow zombies are funny slow zombies are also like you know you can use them as romantic characters now in the same way that you could use like a dracula but yeah. fast zombies haven't 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 quite been like <clears throat> turned into serial mascots yet and it, i mean post post capitalist collapse you can have the return of the slow zombie right in in the walking dead the world's over right you don't uh is as it is in warm bodies as well right like that's post that's po- that's post the big but even even in, so in you, warm bodies like people are starting to rebuild and there is a subset of zombies that that are the real evil bad zombies and they're the fast ones yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean um i think i think maybe if you you have uh but even in the walking dead actually just just kind of thinking out loud you still have this slightly uh you have this kind of mobile globalized you know flexible pool of bodies that can be that can be you know just shot in the face without mm-hmm. any ethical consequences yes. attached to them but then but then i actually think that uh, the walking dead is deeply reactionary oh yeah yeah <laughs> I, I can. Uh, uh, you, you, what you mean? The show where where a a an American police officer uses unilateral force to just summarily execute everyone he walks past is a bad you know or a show with a problematic message. <laughs> I could have never detected uh, that. I know, right? It's it's easier to imagine the end of the world than a society without the authority of police. <laughs> Uh, the Walking Dead is capitalist realism. Yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely think that, that, that this is this is kind of like a reoccurring problem we have with I think zombies and horror in general is that zombies being a stand-in for kind of the exploited and the you know the working poor and everyone who's kind of like marginalized. Like look at a, like Night of the Living Dead and how it kind of accidentally became the, the this kind of scathing social critique, right? You know, like the the uh, like the good old boys at the end are just completely unable to distinguish uh, just a black American from a zombie. Yeah, you know, and like like the potent social message behind that film. But then look at look at like you know Walking Dead. You know, Walking Dead is kind of the inverse of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, because it doesn't matter who who the zombie is or isn't, because. Uh, at its core, that show is a, is sort of essentially nihilistic. Mm-hmm. You know, after all, we're we're all infected. Yeah. So there, it doesn't really matter. There doesn't need to be any ethical discernment. You may as well shoot everybody in the head because what have you lost? Nothing. Which, which I mean, I think that interestingly maps on to the uh, kind of evil CEO character guy from Train to Busan because he has yeah, he has a Walking Dead attitude, right? Where it's he's he's playing a zero sum game where it's either he can survive. Or, or other people can survive, right? And so he is, he is yeah. absolutely willing to expend everyone around him as a resource to stay alive for another split second. Yeah, and that is, is like, even people who might have valuable skills become ultimately disposable to this, to this mm-hmm. man, right? There's the, uh, um, towards the end of the film, the KTX can't go any further. So the captain, the driver, um, they pull up into a station and he pulls out a train um, that everyone can get onto, but the uh, our CEO COO is being chased by a horde of these creatures, and so the driver actually comes to help him, and so 
the COO just throws him to the to the creatures behind him. And this is a person who actually has the essential skills, yeah. right? This is this is this is what capitalism will do in moments of crisis. Every single person is expendable to protect wealth and entrench privilege and power. Everybody. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are, it doesn't matter how hard you've worked, how much you've sacrificed to build your career and make yourself useful to to the higher ups, they will in a heartbeat, without thinking, without a second of remorse, will leave you to die in the most hideously painful way if they think it's going to guarantee their wealth and security for just one more second. Yeah, he kills so many people in this movie just just to, just to like try and hedge his bets for another second. Yeah. And like, we get this scene, which I think is probably one of like the, the most impactful scenes in the entire film. But we we get we get a scene where Sue Ann is, uh, uh, so uh, at this point in the film, we are are the survivors on the train have been split into two parties. There's uh, uh what, what, what I guess we'll call Sok so Sok Wu. Oh my god. Yeah, Sok Wu's group, who um, you know it's it's the husband and wife, it's the ragtag baseball uh kids, it's uh, Sue Ann and Sok Wu, and the homeless man. Mm -hmm. And let's kind of like a ragtag, you know, a uh, section of cross-class individuals. And then we have uh, the evil CEO guy and all of the people he's kind of pressed into being bootlickers. You know, like he... Yeah, he, all, all, all of the bootlicking cowards. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, like what, what happens is that they're all confused, right? And, and he, he uses yeah. one of the few legitimate skills that people like him are forced to build. And that's the ability to kind of you know manipulate people and you start shouting down the entire crowd and getting them to defend themselves and building an us versus them mentality yeah and it's no surprise that they're in the first class cabin yes. so they they barricade themselves in at one mm -hmm. point and and uh jin he our, our cool popular cheerleader is in the group and she calls the baseball player that she has a little bit of a crush on and says that she's still alive and so she's still okay and they're in the front cabin mm -hmm. and so our ragtag group fight though they're in like carriage number nine and our ragtag group starting like carriage 13 and so they fight through these full carriages which are full of uh the undead the hordes of the undead um and they get to that first class cabin and they won't let them in yeah they'll they just want to leave them to die um until they have to break down the door to get in um and even then, even then, our COO says, you can't stay in here. You can't stay in here. They're infected. Mm -hmm. send, them into, send them into the vestibule at the back. Yep. And we, but but the, um, the, the scene that I was referencing is in the midst of all the chaos, right? Because zombies are about to break in on one end of the car. Uh, Sok Wu's group is still trying to get into the, uh, like, like the, the, the safe car where the CEO is. And in the middle of all this chaos, Suan is just just crying her eyes out, a lost and afraid little child. And and we see we see evil CEO Dickhead look at her, and mm, and for yeah. a brief moment, you know, you kind of see this the, 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 this look wash over his face, and you think that this is going to be okay. This is the arc for his character, right? You know, he's he's yeah, he's he's gonna have the moment yeah. of empathetic connection. Why it's Christmas Day, Governor? Like like he's he's Scrooge, <laughs> you know, like like for this brief moment, like I thought he was gonna be a Scrooge, you know. He he had become the yeah, yeah. soulless functionary of capital 
and but but now when he's encountered with like the embodiment of human purity a little a little like child who's afraid you know he he's he's gonna round the corner and realize that he has to be a person again but no that fear that look in his eyes was the realization that he has to kill the last bit of decency in himself in order to continue oppressing everyone around him yeah exactly and and he he just Uh, just with with total inhuman heartlessness decides that he will let suan die yeah if if there is a message to this film it's that you should stop appealing to the decency of people who have been conditioned to crush that out of themselves because it doesn't exist and it's going to get you killed yep yeah you you can't you you can't benefit from from like bootlicking for even a short amount of time because they will turn on you in a heartbeat yeah absolutely and this is exactly what happens in the film yep he is um his behavior actually this that this is the scene i was talking about when they've when they have driven Suk, uh, uh Siokwu's group out into the vestibule one of the older uh korean ladies is um in in the carriage mm, yep. and her sister has already has already died and has been infected and so she sees the way that um Yon Suk has been behaving this this arrogant COO and she she kind of rhetorically talking to her now a dead sister goes you've always thought of other people before yourself look where that's got you and then she just walks down to the end of the carriage and opens the door and lets them all in um because if you're going to treat people as completely expendable eventually people who think that they're going to have nothing to lose are going to be like well i'm taking you all down then (laughs) and that's what happens there is um that scene is really well done because it's all done from Yon's, uh, from Siokwu's group's point of view, and all you hear is like just the screams as this group of people are just annihilated, and it's entirely the fault of this COO figure. Yeah, <laughs> everything bad that happens in this movie is entirely the fault of of either him or people like him, which I, I really, I really like. I really like the kind of like thematic layers of the film right because you know who who is ultimately responsible for a devastating chemical spill it's it's the ceos who were like okay like let's 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 cut the safety budget so i can buy a fifth vacation home or something yeah, totally um and this is this is why i actually think that uh yon suk is such an interesting inclusion because he is who siok Wu is going to turn into Yes. At the start of the film, right? Yes. He and, and and not and not just going to as as like by course of fate. He, this is someone he Siakwu is actively trying to become. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's and it's because he kind of has to realize that he's been a terrible father, um, and that his his kind of class conditioning, the class ideology that he's taken on, is actively destructive. That's the only way he manages to make it through the whole thing. There's a really telling moment quite early on in the film when um, the passengers are moving through the train to avoid infected people. And they're moving next to these uh, two older Korean uh, women. And Suan sits down in one of those fold-out chairs that they have in train vestibules. But she immediately gets up and offers it to one of the older women. And her father tells her off for this. And says, uh, in times like this, you look out only for yourself. 
because that's that's the advice of capitalism, right? In the in the midst of in the midst of crisis, everybody becomes a threat. But really, our own survival is predicated upon the survival of other people as well, right? We need one another. If we're faced with with global catastrophe, does not have individualized solutions. So. Uh, and she, but still, she she gives this little child gives up her seat to the older to the older uh, woman, and it's like that's a good object lesson for actually the whole kind of moral arc of the film. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. <laughs> I think that, that 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 scene is is really really telling because the kind of the thematic space between that scene and when uh, our, our evil our evil heartless corporate overlord decides he's going to let a tiny crying child be eaten alive. Like the thematic, the thematic mirroring of kind of those two moments is just so good. This yeah. movie is really good at like, 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 like setting up these echoing thematic moments that kind of just flux throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and one of one of one of the other parallels between the two the two groups that I really enjoyed is that um, <clears throat> you know, we've been referring to it as like Sok Wu group, but it really it really doesn't have like, you know, like like much of a centralized kind of authority. If anything, Sang Hua is the guy in charge of like the the quote unquote good survivor group. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, he like like he keeps calling Sok Wu an asshole and a jerk because that's who Sok. <laughs> or and he calls him a bloodsucker at one point. Yeah, because he asks he asks him what he what what does he do, and he's I said and Sok Wu is a hedge fund manager, and he goes ah so you're a, you're you're a bloodsucker then, and it's like. No, yeah, uh, Sanghua uh, gets it. He absolutely understands who this person is. But right, and... Oh, God. Sorry, I was just going to say, but importantly, in the course of the film, they realize they don't actually have to like each other, but but they do need each other if they're going to survive. And, and, I and I really think that a big part of Sokwu's character is recognizing that, like, he has a lot to learn from Sanghua. Yeah, definitely. And that, like... You know, Sangwa is kind of like a big, big, dumb idiot, <laughs> but he's a, got a heart of gold. He's this big, adorable Labrador of a man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, like, and Sokwu doesn't have that. Like, Sokwu is, is is corrupting. You know. Yeah. And like, like you know, we like the parallel between like Sangwa as as someone who's just just on the cusp of figuring out what fatherhood is all about. Yeah, and Sok Wu as someone who has effectively abandoned fatherhood to to try and climb the hedge fund chain is just such a beautiful parallel to have those two men working together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a moment where they try and stop at a station because they think that might be safe, um, and so but it isn't. Turns out they have to run back to the train, and Siok Wu and and Sang Hua end up holding hold barricading this door shut to to allow everybody to escape, and. If they weren't working together, nobody would survive. Uh, but what's amazing is Sang Hua goes, asshole, get over here. <laughs> like, do something useful for once. Uh, but he does, so he doesn't let up the fact that like, under normal conditions, you would have different interests, right? You would be materially opposed to one another. But in, these, in this specific scenario, in this kind of catastrophic moment, there is... Like the only way that you can get back to those issues later is if you work together to survive this. Yeah, and and I think like part of the reason we can get that is because you know Sok Wu hasn't, you know, like like we've been saying, like you know he he's like a middle manager to has fun, but he hasn't completely left 
in, in into like technically proper capitalism yet. You know, he he isn't quite as far as the evil CEO who could never kind of come back from where he's gone on a moral level. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that connects Sokwu back to guys like Sanghua and back to everyone else in that little like ragtag cohort of survivors. Which is which is compared to you know contrasted really well I think with like so we have these two guys who are like they they have a lot of tension between the two of them a lot of very like well established tension mm. but they recognize that like you know their interests together outweigh their their differences apart so they have to work together and they have to make it work compared to uh, the evil CEO who has decided that like you know the only way he's going to make it out is to kind of unilaterally seize power and, you know, convince these people that he's got the right idea until he needs them dead. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And this ties back into, the, there's a really telling moment that I really like is that as they pull out of Seoul, there's this, there's this very brief shot of like people being attacked on the platform, um, but they've made it out now. So they, they, they go, oh, that was weird. What was that about? And then later on, there's, a, there's an emergency press conference by the president or by a senior politician who tells everybody, uh, just do as you're told. Everything's going to be fine. Nothing, nothing, nothing's going to happen. It's all going to be fine. Just continue to be passive, to respect uh, institutionalized authorities. Um, and this is something that comes up in um, a lot, I think, of contemporary dystopia, this idea that like capitalism is ultimately adaptable to almost anything. Uh, and so it will kind of try and normalize anything at all. And you can imagine like, oh, there's going to be military checkpoints at various points, but nothing really substantially needs to change. And maybe every so often you might go, oh, where's, where's, the, where's the guy who used to, you know, do the janitorial work here? And it will turn out that obviously he's now infected and was taken away and was executed. But that's the impression that that gets set up here, that that's what's going to happen. And it actually takes Siokwu all of these kind of horrific events to realize, oh wait, <laughs> yeah. all of that is bullshit. <laughs> right, and, and he really doesn't even fully piece together the, the, the kind of scope of the problem he's facing until he's dead or, or rather rather dying like he's been infected yeah yeah, yeah. but I, I found that i found that moment to be really powerful right so so he gets he gets into a final battle with like the evil ceo guy who and is it's, now it's, also infected yes and it's it's this awesome it's i love that struggle so much right because it's it's sakwu's character finally growing and it's finally him fighting off his past yeah or, or, or rather, it's rather it's him rejecting a future that that would mean he can't be with his daughter, mm. and and you know he, he a future wherein more than that he would have to sacrifice his humanity to to save it. But I think for me, like the most moving part of that is like Sok Sokwu gets infected in the fight. Yeah, and and you know we we, we get kind of the sequence where he he's starting to stumble, his eyes are starting to glaze over, like he's turning into a zombie. And but but you know like we and we get these flashes to kind of maybe what he's hallucinating or thinking about and it's kind of like you know his daughter, yeah. And and his his like final action though is to just kind of like jump off the back of the train, yeah. It and is. like it's it's this moment of, of self sacrifice, you know, like he's he's so tainted by this old system that he can't continue on into the new part of it. Sokwu, if you will, is the Moses of this film. <laughs> Okay, that's the pull quote for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I get it. I, I get what you mean, right? I, like, you might, like, are you tired of your job? Maybe, 
maybe you think you really deserve that promotion. Well, actually, what you actually need is to team up with a ragtag band of survivors and use baseball bats to, to bludgeon your way through a horde of zombies in order to rescue your child and realize that class consciousness is the only way to deal with the end of the world. Beautiful. Well said. <laughs> That's a good, good summary of this movie. Um... Are there any final points that we want to, wanted to talk about before we think about wrapping things up? Um, the subtle and poetic heroism of trains. Yes. Is, is, so I know, I know like if, if you've been on like the very online left for maybe a fourth of a second, you are, you are well aware of every, the everyone loves trains memes. You know, like the left loves trains. Yeah. Uh, that's a fact. But I think like part of this movie that I really enjoyed... Because I do unironically like trains, <laughs> like even even beyond the left memes. Uh, a deep cut for any like Ash fans out there yes, is wholesome um, train content. Is 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 his regular wholesome train content? <laughs> uh, he is he is uh, a big fan, and it's so good. It's it's so good. <laughs> Quality vehicles, but but I really like the um. So so we have the KTX Captain. And and prior prior to kind of prior to the the beginning of the third act where where the KTX breaks down or it doesn't break down there's something blocking the track and they have to change trains mm, yeah um, prior to that right we we've we've constantly got these cuts that go back to to the the uh, <clears throat> the uh, front of the train back back to the captain and it's and it's him just kind of like radioing back and forth with other stations trying to figure out like okay what path is clear. Where where's a good place that we can stop this train and we can detrain these people and then we can start, you know, moving moving out of this incredibly precarious situation. They're hauling a train full of zombies. Yeah. <laughs> and like like I really I really liked how the tension plays back and forth, right? That there is like all there's there's this kind of class divide and this class battle going on inside this train. And trains are just beautiful metaphors for class class conflict because of their linear linear and enforced struggle. But the entire time, the only reason anything is going is is because of like the the work of this train conductor and all of the other like like uh, uh, like I don't know I don't know who he's specifically talking to if it's just people at stations or there's some like like central hub but like all of the communication that's going on like like all all of this kind of like like this the, this network yeah it's just such such a good parallel to to the conflict going on in the train is that like even though all of our weight is on that conflict and all of our attention is on that conflict, if, if these trains weren't maintained, you know, like if, if the system was like hyper privatized and, and, and hyper degraded, like, like, um, like the British rails are becoming like the, like the American transportation system has kind of always been, mm. you know, like you, you can't even get out of the first zombie infected city. No, of course not. Because the train service only runs three times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and, it, and then he has to stall every every like four seconds to let a commercial line pass but this is this is the thing like if you compare it to other kind of means of transportation it's like the the idea that train yeah this is why the left is obsessed with trains is because any other kind of form of transportation is not only expensive and ecologically da- damaging but it's inherently individualistic mm-hmm. um you know, everyone piling into their cars, you just become a target, right? But yeah. um, and you just become this kind of atomized individual. And it, you know, you might have freedom, but it's freedom at what price? Whereas a good train system 
is not only better for the environment, it's better for uh, kind of collective being as well. And, and to kind of to kind of go back to The Walking Dead briefly, one of the things I do like about that show is that roads always suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I think, like, you know, like like the, we we've been tricked into letting the car represent freedom when in actuality, and in factually, it is the train, perhaps the bicycle for smaller distances. But um, <laughs> uh, one of the one of the, like the 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 kind of conceits of the lie that cars represent freedom is that the the freedom of the car is necessarily dependent upon all of this collective labor. If the roads aren't kept up and if the cars aren't repaired constantly, yeah, the whole system falls apart because then the roads are just clogged with broken down derelict vehicles and you can't drive drive anywhere, which is which is why one of my favorite recurring zombie tropes is like the roads are just full of useless fucking cars. <laughs> yeah, cars which don't do anything but just actively make things much more dangerous for everybody. Right? And like apocalypse movies about trains uplifting although they're difficult and horrifying snow piercer train to busan apocalypse movies about cars horrifying we've yeah. got mad max nightmares yeah absolutely um this is why tra- trains are good uh n- they should be nationalized everywhere there should be yes. hella municipal and regional really good transportation systems um because it's cheaper for individuals, it is better for understanding how we are all interdependent and reliant on one another, uh, and they're just pretty cool, right? Yeah, and and like trains are just neat. Also, almost completely undisruptible by like tech startup innovation. <laughs> like every, every every like this is like a it's like a meme on on Twitter, but like every two weeks, some tech startup will go, we're disrupting how people travel around the cities. And it's basically, they've invented the bus or yeah. like they've invented the train. And it's no surprise that these kind of rich billionaires hate public transport. Elon Musk famously hates public transport. And it's like, that is a hugely revealing uh, aspect of the upper classes, right? Of the capitalist class. Right, yeah. Uh, if they hate it, it is by, by default very good <laughs> yeah yeah like it's, it's just absolutely ludicrous that like like how many how many times have like tech startups like reinvented cars and buses already and yeah. like taxis as a concept <laughs> and like like it's never i mean like i know this has been pointed out pr- pretty consistently but like they're not actually disrupting anything like what disrupting actually means is is stripping workers of power yeah, and trying to form uh, unshakable monopolies so that you can yes. cash out, make billions of dollars, and reduce workers' rights to nothing. Right, and, and shift business models away from like because you know taxi drivers are employees, and and therefore they have kind of a solid framework to unionize. Mm. But like Uber drivers aren't employees of Uber; they're users of the service. Mm. No, you exactly. Know? And then like that is that is so despotic. Yeah. Right. No, I think, uh, yeah, you don't need Uber. What you need is a really good uh, bus and local transportation yeah. system in every single city. You don't... But, uh, to just like all of these things, you can't make a lot of money on, on a well-oiled bus system. You know, it's, it's just not something that is profitable in a raw sense, and it's also not something that is, like, morally feasible to make profitable, right? The only way you make that profitable 
is to restrict service and and start you know like pricing people out of tickets yeah yeah absolutely um which is why uh which is why there is the kind of desperation to privatize every idea every notion every every single concept that goes into a public transportation system um so trains are good um corporate coos will will have you have you eaten in a second um the only way we will survive the hell world of, of like capitalism is together yes um, and uh maybe the best part about this movie is when richard branson gets defeated at the end <laughs> when richard branson gets reduced to a mindless slavering zombie um <laughs> It's, Wait, it's, how, how does how does that change anything about Richard Branson? Hey, Boom! Ah! <laughs> Air horn sound effect. <laughs> Airhorn.mp3. <laughs> uh, but it's good. This has been fun. This has been this a fun is such episode. a good movie. Yeah, I really, really, really like this film. Um, if you haven't seen it, please do check it out. Um, it is an, an unimpeachably leftist bit of popular cinema. Um, and it kind of goes against my overall thesis that you know uh, the contemporary zombie can be only used in kind of reactionary ways which I think is well worth encouraging there should be more uh, zombies eating the rich that is a good thing (laughs) (laughs) thanks for tuning in creeps and comrades and remember stay spooky